So, question, have you ever said something, and then the minute you said it, you're like, this is not coming out right, but you didn't know how to fix it in the moment, and so it just got, like, worse and more confusing? Uh, If you were here last week, totally did that. Totally did that. At the end of the sermon, uh, I mentioned the parable of the sower, and then went on to describe the parable of the talents, which is uh, actually what I was talking about. And I don't know if anybody else got confused, but I was royally confused up here. And I'm sure, I think at one point I went cross-eyed, and like I, I knew it was wrong, but I didn't know how to make it right, and people were kind of blank, blank staring at me, which I get a lot anyways. So uh, it was just a real uncomfortable feeling. Uh, and as I was studying this week, it uh, dawned on me that I totally blew that. Uh, so that's sort of a may culpa, and also that wasn't the parable of the sower, just so you guys know. Uh, but the parable of the talents is one of Jesus' many masterpieces in which he makes God's desires for the people of his day plain and simple. And the parable of the talents is basically this. So there's a wealthy landowner, and he's traveling. And while he travels, he leaves his wealth to his servants to uh, continue to cultivate, shall we say. And so to one servant, he gives five talents, and to another servant, he gives two talents, and to the third servant, he gives one talent. So time goes, and eventually he comes back. Well, while he was gone, the, the, the servant that he gave five talents doubled his, his money, doubled his gold coins, returned to him ten, and hey, that's always good. And the second servant who he gave two, he returned to him four. But the last servant he was just given one, that guy knew about his boss, right? And he's like, hey, this guy is, uh, he's tough, and he, he has high expectations for us, and so I don't really want to lose this money, and so rather than lose the money, I'm just going to bury it. So he buries the money. That way, hey, he's not going to lose it. And so he just returns the one talent, and, and his boss is like, hey, his, his master is like, hey, what's up, what's up with this? Why, why haven't you done anything with what I've gifted to you? And he said, well, look, I knew that you had high expectations and that you were tough, and I was just, quite frankly, afraid. And so the master's like, you could have at least put it in the bank, and I could have drawn interest. Like, you could have given me something, but you went minimum effort here, and, and, and I just, that's not okay. And the gist of the parable of the talents is this, that God gives to all of us. He bestows on all of us blessings and gifts, talents that he and trust within us that he expects us to take and use to multiply his kingdom. And he expects us to use those blessings to bless those that are around us. Now, the point I was trying to make last week that I miserably think I failed on uh, was that the biggest blessing that any of us receive is the justification and the forgiveness received through salvation that Jesus has given to us. Now, we can take that gift and through evangelism, we can share that gift with others or we can uh, kind of hide away and be fearful of, of using that gift and then not have anything to do with it. But evangelism is the key to multiplying that gift in our lives. God's expectations is that, expectation is that we multiply. We multiply a be- blessing to the world around us. Now, like I just said, we can take what we have and, and, and we can not do anything with it, or we can be fruitful and we can multiply. Uh, if we don't, if we just keep what we have to ourselves, it greatly, greatly displeases God. And in fact, at the end of the parable and, uh, of the talents, Matthew 25, 30, um, God or Jesus explains that the unprofitable servant, the servant who's not fruitful, will be cast into darkness. So today, lesson two on evangelism in Genesis is be fruitful and multiply. The faithful servant multiplies their blessing. 
We're going to be in Genesis chapter 1. We'll jump around, but that's kind of the basis of what the message is. Chapter 1, verse 28, which says this. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. This is a command from God. This is a command from God. God not only commands us, but expects us to multiply his people. And like all commands in Scripture, this command comes with an implicit promise, an implicit guarantee that we can be successful in fulfilling the command. See, God never will call you to do anything, to step out into anything that he will not give you the tools to complete and accomplish. If he commands something of you, then there's an implicit guarantee, an implicit promise that he will give you the, t- the tools to be successful in doing that. And so he's called all of us to be fruitful and to, be, and to multiply and to, to be evangelistic. And so we have the tools, each one of us, innately to, to be successful in this task, to be successful in this goal. What we see here in this scripture is that God was pleased with his creation. See, he looked at Adam and Eve and he said, this is good. And he literally says that in scripture. This is good. And, and so he, he's blessing them and he wants them to be fruitful. He wants them to multiply. And he looks at his people and he says, this is good and I, I want more of this. So when he sees us as Christians in relationship with him, he he looks down upon that as something that's good and he loves that and he wants it to increase. And so that's why he calls us to bring that gift of salvation to everyone around us. Now, the passage, Genesis 1.28, or the verse, I guess it's not really a passage, it's a verse, single verse. The verse, Genesis 1.28, speaks directly to procreation, right? Like God is telling Adam and Eve to fill the earth with babies that eventually will become adult humans and, and, and will multiply blessing that way. And, and he wants that specifically to be an increase in number. How this relates to evangelism is that this is the first of many instances in Scripture in which God has applied to his people the charge, the task to be fruitful and multiply. It's our job to be fruitful and to multiply. And while the passage here, the the verse here, I'm going to use passage, get over it, I'll get over it, and we'll all be fine. The passage here um, itself may not appear to be evangelistic in nature. The principle here is one that we see upheld all throughout Scripture. All throughout Scripture. Christians have a duty to multiply the blessing that has been given them. And there's an extremely logical component to this as well. It always blows my mind, not, that God has a logical reason for the commands that he gives us. And there's a logical command to us multiplying our number as well. It makes perfect sense. See, the more Christians there are in our world, the more Christ-like world that we have. Or at least that's how it's supposed to be. But the more Christians we have in our world, the more Christ-like world that we have. And the more Christians we have involved in every aspect of our world, the more influence we have in the different aspects of our world. So whether that's business or religion or um, sport or whatever it may be, you think of a realm, the more Christians we have in that place, the more God will have an influence on what's taking place in those different atmospheres. And so there's a logical reason and explanation to this as well, is why God wants us to be fruitful and to multiply. Because we're supposed to subdue the earth and rule the earth and, and, and use creation for our bidding. And that's easier done when we have more workers to tend to that work. Does that make sense? And that's what God is wanting from us. There's another lesson here too that I think that we need to see and that's very important. And that's that evangelism starts in the home. It starts in the home. It starts with Adam and Eve being fruitful and multiplying. 
But the greatest way for us as individuals to, to have an influence in this world is to have a whole bunch of babies and raise them up godly and let them go out and find other people who were raised that way and create more babies that are going to be godly people and grow up. I mean, there is a logical component to this. And so, yes, we are supposed to be fruitful, and yes, we are supposed to multiply. And we are supposed to do these things because, one, that's what God commands, and two, it's what our duty is as Christians, is to be like Christ. And we talked about last week how Christ's whole focus of his life was evangelism and his ministry to bring others into relationship with God. Now, in order for us to be fruitful, in order for us to fulfill this command, we must be connected to Christ. We must be connected to Christ to be fruitful. John 15, uh, verses 4 and 5 says, Remain in me, and I also will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. See, our ability to be fruitful rests in the strength of our connection with Christ. Our ability to be fruitful, and this applies to evangelism, it applies to any task that we take on. Our ability to be fruitful in those things directly connects to the strength of our relationship with Christ. Are we branches that are connected to the vine? I would argue that evangelism is a measure of how healthy your relationship is with God. That if you have a true, healthy, honest, good relationship with Jesus and a relationship with God, you're going to desire what it is that Jesus desires, which is ultimately what God desires. And that's for us to spread the good news, to spread the gospel, to reach out beyond our walls, to look at people and say, I have what you are looking for. There is a salvation, there is a gift that can, you cannot even comprehend that is greater than anything that you could ever receive. And if we have a strong relationship with Jesus, then we are going to want to desire to share that gift in our life as well. And so, yes, I think it's a, a measure of how healthy our relationship with Christ is. If we hope to see results in our faith, with our faith, when we step out in the things that God has called us to do, if we hope to see positive results in evangelism, and, and no, that doesn't mean that every time we share the gospel with somebody or every time we talk to somebody about Jesus that they receive that and they're just like, oh, you're, where has this been all my life? Because sometimes the door closes and sometimes we get shut down. But if we ever have any hope to see any success whatsoever, we have to be connected to Christ. We have to be the genuine article. See, I think the thing that we must understand is that people know when you're genuine. They may not agree with you, but if you're genuine, they can respect you. If you're genuine, they can respect you. There's a, a famous uh, magician, Penn and Teller. Which one's the tall one? Penn. Thank you. Now, Penn is a world-renowned militant atheist. Like, he is anti-God. And he thinks anybody that believes in God is stupid. He said that. Those are his words, not my words. He's talked about over the years how a number of people have tried to evangelize to him and tried to talk to him about different things, and he just doesn't want any part of it. But he, he talks about one individual, one man that came up to him after the end of one of his shows and was having an honest conversation with him and, and offered him a Bible, which he said he took. And he said he didn't know what it was, but there was something different about this man 
than the rest of the people that had talked to him. And while still to this day he doesn't necessarily agree with the teachings of the Bible and he didn't agree with that person's point of view, he could see within them that they had some sort of real connection to their belief. That they weren't just saying, this is what I believe, but that they were living their life that way. And people will see that. People will see whether or not you're living your life that way or if that's just a claim that you make. So what is it that's happening in life? Are you genuinely in relationship with Christ or are you just claiming to be a Christian? When people deal with you, will they say, I don't necessarily agree with them or maybe I do agree with them now, but I can tell that this person is genuine. I can tell that this person truly believes in what they're saying. Or will they walk away saying, like, I kind of feel like I've dealt with a used car salesman. No offense if anybody's a used car salesman or has one in their family. I kind of felt like, a, like a, 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 I was dealing with a wolf in sheep's clothing. What are they going to get from you? And that's introspective. That's something that you have to really think about. And if you are connected, if you are connected to the vine, if you're a branch that's connected to the vine, then you have to be fruitful. You have to be fruitful. It's not a choice. It's not a choice. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works so that one can boast, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for you to do. Now, I'm not one that's claiming that evangelism is the only good work that we are capable of doing. God has prepared in us an ability to do all sorts of good works, but I do and honestly say that evangelism is one of the many good works that he expects us to accomplish in life. That God has created you, has created you, with the ability to be evangelistic. He's created you with the ability to start a relationship with other people and to share with those people what Christ has done for you in your life. And you have a duty to, to do that. You have a duty to look at all the many blessings that have been bestowed upon you and to say, I want to tell somebody about this. We've all been around a brand new Christian, right? Or remember what it was like to be a brand new Christian when we first... Like, like, when we first got it, do you just remember being on, like, fire? Like, hey, I'm going to run through walls telling people. Like, I remember the feeling of just being like, I cannot wait to tell everybody about this. Like, there's just this burning sensation inside of you that you realize what you just received and the change that it made within you. And, and you're thinking to yourself, like, I cannot wait to just share this with everybody. And as life moves on, that a lot of times subsides a little, sometimes a lot. And maybe we don't have that same desire, but but we're supposed to. We're supposed to never forget that connection that we have with God. We're supposed to never forget that gift that's been bestowed upon us. And we need to understand that we were created to do good works. We are God's perfect creation. We were created to be successful in this. And this isn't prosperity gospel. This is biblical encouragement. It's right there. God created you to do good works. And you know what? He brought salvation not by our hand. It's not by anything that we've done. So we can look at this and say, well, I can't do this. And you know what? Maybe you're right. You can't do it. But God can do it through you. God can do it through you. And yeah, sometimes it's going to be uncomfortable. Sometimes you're going to have to take a step out of your comfort zone and be really downright uncomfortable. Not like where you're at. Stumble through things. Feel like you're awkward. Feel like you're not doing a good job at this. And, and, and you can do that. You can do that, but that's not what we're supposed to do. And I'd rather me personally be uncomfortable doing something I know that I'm supposed to be doing 
than being comfortable and, and you know, just, hey, I'm not going to do it because that makes me uncomfortable, so I don't want to do it. I'd much rather be uncomfortable any day of the week and know that I'm fulfilling what God has called me to do rather than live a life of ease and feel like I've accomplished nothing of what God's task for me is. Here's the honest truth. You cannot fail God when you are rooting yourself in Him and when you are seeking to fulfill the will that He has placed on your life. You cannot fail God doing that. You cannot fail God trying to have His purpose for your life be your purpose for your life. It's impossible to do that. God will never look at somebody who says, God, use me. I'm going to do exactly what it is that you want me to do. And, and I'm, my goal is to have your goals be my goals. He's never going to say, well, that's not good. I don't want that. I mean, it just doesn't make any sense. doesn't make any sense. And quite frankly, as I already stated, we have to be fruitful. Because here's the deal, and this is the honest truth, that branches that don't bear fruit must be cut off from the vine. Branches that don't bear fruit must be cut off. John 15, 1 and 2. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, He prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. This is one of those not flowery, haha, pun sort of, uh, parts of Scripture that a lot of people will find it easy to ignore. That they'll look at this and they'll say, well, let's skip right past that. And we'll just look at the next couple of verses, which is what I sort of did originally. <laughs> right? And we'll just look at the verses that talk about if we remain in Jesus, then we'll be fruitful. But we don't want to talk about the verses that say, if we are not connected to the vine, that we're going to be removed from the vine. Just like God promises and commands us that those of us who stay connected to Him will be fruitful, there's an opposite side of that coin that says, if you are not in me, then you will not be in me. Right? If you're not fulfilling my will, then you don't have a place here on this vine. And that's the honest, scary part that all of us have to look at because I'd be doing a disservice to you and to myself and to anyone else listening to this sermon here today if I didn't mention this. That those who do not bear fruit are seen by Christ and seen by God as disconnected from the vine. And quite frankly, that's because there is a disconnect from the vine if you are not bearing good fruit in your life. This is getting down to the nitty-gritty. This is getting down to the mud, right? We're in the dirt now. This is the not-fun zone of Christianity. It's really great to reap all the benefits, right? It's really great to experience salvation. It's really great to not go to hell. It's, it's really great to feel good that God loves us and that He wants good things for us. But it's scary to know that God holds us accountable for the things that He's given us as well. And that God, when He calls us to be fruitful, that's not just a, hey, this is what I want you to do. It's this is what you have to do. Because those of you that are not will be cut off from the vine. Branches that do not bear fruit must be removed. And the reason that they have to be removed is so that those branches that are bearing good fruit can, can grow more. And for those newly growing branches to receive more of the nutrients that they need in order to become fruitful, full-grown branches in the future. I'm not a gardener, in case you're wondering. But we, we have that 
that job. We have that duty to be fruitful and to be connected to God and to seek his will and to let his will flow through us so that we can be fruitful believers and fruitful people. In Matthew seven fifteen through 20, um, they're talking specifically about prophets, but again, it's one of those principles that applies to all of us. And it says, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. I want you to hear this. Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. This takes it one step further. It's not just that some of us are bearing good fruit and the rest of us aren't bearing any fruit at all. It's that some of us are bearing good fruit and others of us are bearing bad fruit. We're not just not doing anything. We're doing the opposite. We're making things worse. And those branches will be thrown into the fire. We're headed for hell. If, we, if, we're, if we're on that side of the equation, hell is our destination. So this kicks it up a notch. God recognizes us by the fruit that we bear. How will he recognize you? How will he recognize you? Because we see here in Scripture that we must bear good fruit in order to be connected to the vine, in, in order to be recognized by Jesus. And that if we're not bearing any fruit at all, then we're headed for destruction. And that if we're, heading bad, if we're bearing bad fruit, then we're headed for the fire. This goes back to those... You must be on fire. You can't be lukewarm. You can't, you know, be hot or cold. Don't be lukewarm because that's getting you nowhere. Right? There's only one part of this equation that equals goodness. And that's us bearing good fruit. Are you bearing good fruit? Can you look yourself in the mirror and say, I'm bearing good fruit? Maybe you say, I'm not bearing any fruit at all. You need to be honest with yourselves. What if you're a person who looks in the mirror and says, I'm giving way to bad fruit? What if it's, I'm not giving good to the world and it's not that I'm, I'm really not doing anything wrong, but I'm actually, I'm causing issues. I'm detracting away from what it is that God wants for people. Are you putting bad fruit out into the world? Are you look, causing others to stumble? Are you causing others to, to see what it is that you've put out and say, I don't want any part of that? And because of that, I don't, I, if that's what being a Christian is, then I don't really want any part of being a Christian. Or I don't want any part of that, that, that ministry if, if that's what it's going to be about. Like, I, I just, I don't want to deal with that person because of the fruit that they bear. We all have to be honest with ourselves and, and introspective and, and decide where it is that we fall. And if we're not on the good fruit side of things, that we need to do whatever we can at all possibility to fall on that side, to find ourselves in the good fruit bears. And I think that you will know this by how people respond to you. You will know this by how people respond to you. So when you're putting yourself out there, what's the response? And again, this isn't like one person told me, no, oh no, I'm going to hell. Okay, that's not what I'm talking about, but 
people will give you a pretty clear inclination of what they're thinking about you. And sometimes, yes, maybe they're wrong. But sometimes they're giving you something to think about. As Christians, we're supposed to be people. As a church, we're supposed to be a church. As individuals, we're supposed to be individuals who say, this is what Christ has done for me. This is what he can do for you. And we're supposed to bring that word and that gospel and that good news and that truth to the world around us. And if we're not doing that, then we are a branch that will be cut off from the vine. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to be part of a church that's just thinking about what's happening inside their walls. And I don't want to be part of a church that's not bearing good fruit. I don't want to be part of a church that's not part of growing the kingdom. Each and every one of us has an ownership stake in that. Crosspoint success is determined by your individual success and our individual success collectively. So what are we doing with what God's given us? Let's pray. God, I come to you right now and I thank you for what it is that you've given each and every one of us because the truth of the matter is, God, that you've given us all purpose, you've given us all gifts, and you've given us all blessing. And Lord, if we have accepted Christ as our personal Savior, we have received the greatest gift that any of us could have ever hoped to receive at any point in our entire lives. And Lord, there's nothing we do to earn that. There's nothing we can do to solidify our status necessarily in that it's, it's a gift of grace that you give us. And what we, what we do in order to receive that is to admit that we haven't been bearing good fruit and that we haven't been connected to the vine, that we don't know Jesus and that we want to know Jesus and that we want to be connected to Jesus. And no, we don't always get it right, but God, as long as we're connected to Jesus, as long as we are receiving that life that only He can give, we are to be sharing that life with everyone else around us. Help us to be people in a church that say, I will see the lost and I will love the lost like God sees the lost and God loves the lost. And God loves the lost so much that He sent His Son to die on a cross, a death that He didn't deserve for the sins of every single person no matter where they find themselves in this world today. So sometimes, yes, God, it's uncomfortable. And sometimes, God, we don't know exactly what to say. And, and maybe we don't feel like we're adequate enough to fulfill the command that you've given to us. But God, you're with us. And God, you give us the tools innately to be successful in the things that you command us to do. So help us to be the hands and feet that move and that reach when we see somebody who needs you. Let us be people that are not comfortable with the status quo, that don't look at our day-to-day lives and say, I'm doing okay, so everything's okay. We ask for all these things in your son's name. Amen.